Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Chatting with the Light Keeper. Before we get started, since this is going to be the last uh, lovely episode um, before Christmas, I should start by wishing everyone a happy Christmas. So, everyone, please have a very merry, happy Christmas um, or whatever else you're celebrating this holiday season. I hope that is absolutely amazing for you. And now that that is out of the way, um, let's kind of jump right into uh, the topics at hand. I'm kind of lumping a few things together, but in my mind, they all flow together. So hopefully this will, will all make sense to you as we as we get through it. But we're going to talk about a lot about age play today. And from age play, we're going to kind of venture into the world of brattiness because in a way that that kind of bratty behavior often, um, while it doesn't always have to, this is the wonderful world of kink where not everything is the same for everybody, but often brattiness does go with age play. And since we're doing play, I thought, well, we can end it with some conversation about uh, pet play, which is something that actually a lot of people indulge in. And a lot of people love it, but for people who aren't into it or haven't explored it, it's something that that many, especially even people that have been around the lifestyle for a long time, don't really know anything about. So I thought we'd do a little, we're you know, real high level, quick take on pet play as well. So age play is really a very very wide ranging umbrella of a term. And if you don't know much about it, it's probably most commonly seen as um, people who are identify as, for example, littles, where they identify as, even though they are a fully grown adult, um, during consensual play, they identify as somebody much younger than they are, often childlike, with a childlike innocence, and they're dominant can be more of a um, more of a parental figure, more of a caregiver, if you will. And so that is how it's most commonly seen. But just like everything else in the wonderful world of kink and BDSM, there are some horrible stereotypes that go along with this. And the biggest one is that somehow age play, especially since we tend to throw in the term daddy in here, um, or mommy, that is getting more common. Um, but somehow people, especially in the vanilla world, or even some within kink that um, are closed-minded kinksters, have this weird, uneducated belief that those who engage in age play, it's somehow related to pedophilia or some sort of child sexual abuse, which it is completely not. Um, in fact, um, while I was doing some research on this, because I was curious, um, there were a couple of, of scientists, people with, you know, PhDs and beyond, that looked into this very thing. You know, is there a connection between age players and those who are just, you know, icky people that prey on children? And they're research, which was quite extensive, um, found that, oh, this is not 
It's this icky to say. I just don't even like talking about it. But but we do because this is kind of at the heart of, of the myth. But um, people who are pedophiles are attracted to children because they want to have a child as a sexual partner. And even partner isn't the right word in my mind because the child has no no ability to really understand like to be partner is consensual and obviously a child doesn't have that right or ability um so while they looked at you know the the pedophiles who want want a child to have sex with they found that people who were into age play um tended to actually with children um were themselves caregivers to children or when they interacted with children they did so in a manner where they were a a caring giver to the you know two kids um and their attraction to age play was not was not the childlike part of it um but it was the way that the the role-playing the child or younger than their other partner that role play increased the power difference between the partners and themselves and at the root of it that was what drives people who are into into age play it's not the icky nicky stuff that's out there and um so it's important to make that conclusion and it's important to debunk that myth um, because it is it is very prevalent and i've even run into people who are into the lifestyle that that believe it and it is absolutely absolutely not the case and um there are other people out there uh, who will not only echo that but their research has also found um that sometimes people who engage in age play are sort of in a way using the age play to to recognize and accept a um, possible trauma that happened to them when they were a child and this actually once again leads those people who are age players um, to be more protective over real children than somebody who is who is not an age player so it's kind of funny how that myth ends up once it uh once it gets you know kind of played out and has the has the people who are the scientists and the researchers and psychologists and psychiatrists and all those people get involved and and do their homework what what is actually discovered about it that was kind of kind of fascinating to learn and as always another myth myth that is out there is if you know you're into age play and you're you know you must have a mental illness that's that's not the case um i mean age play is just what we're saying it's play it's play and fantasy between consenting adults so all the myths and misconceptions that are out there yeah they're they're bogus bumpkiss crapola so now that's that's out of the way what why do people do age play what is what's the draw i mean what what is the allure for them and once again i can't speak for everybody but i can speak to 
kind of sort of the masses of what people are reporting, what people say. And so if you're an edge player, your reasons may be different, but many people report that they enjoy age play because it returns them to a time of simplicity. So you kind of get to let go of all the adult responsibilities if you're the person doing, you know, playing to be a much younger age. I mean, when we were kids, life was a whole lot simpler. It even appeared simpler to our caregivers. So in a way, even if you are in the role, say, of of the older caregiver to a person who is role-playing a much younger person, even that brings back simplicity. And in a way, we are kind of letting our adulting responsibilities go by the wayside. Another thing is that there's a vulnerability that um, comes with age play, a lot of people report, and that um, it makes them feel protected and loved. And for those, especially dominants, who have kind of a caregiving, nurturing side to them, it's a place that allows them to let that shine. So it works, works out very nicely in that way. Now, there are people who have had a, um, we'll say, a challenging childhood. And age play allows them, kind of now as grown-ups, um, to go back and experience experience perhaps the innocence and the sense of, sense of maybe warmth that they, uh, they never had as a child. So it um, kind of gives people a chance to perhaps role play uh, what, you know, the fantasy of what they always wanted and were never able to have. Um, and another thing, uh, which probably isn't surprising, uh, but people who have very demanding careers or just um, a demanding life and whatever demanding life is to, to each person, because we're all different. So, uh, But if you have something that's very demanding in your life, uh, sometimes age play allows people to, you know, put it all aside and just be able to relax and be in the simpler simpler state and it's almost um you know for those people they report it's almost like a meditative state even though they're they're role playing being a younger age so that's kind of that's obviously not all but that's kind of the reason that draws people into it now there's some terms out there most commonly you see uh, daddy dom slash little girl which is abbreviated dd slash lg um, or becoming more and more common, you see LB for little boy, um, or you now see, you know, mommy, little girl, or mommy and little boy. Um, but no matter how you phrase it, I think the world is getting to accept the fact that um, obviously all sorts of genders and sexes can come together and enjoy this kind of play. So we are seeing the term morph and change, which is fantastic, uh, from the, you know, daddy dom or mommy dom or whatever gender specific to just caregiver and little. Um, so that that way you can say, hey, I'm into this and gender isn't a part. So you have caregiver and you have the little. And of course, the caregiver is the person who has the the nurturing, guiding role during the play. Um, 
And just in case you're unaware, somebody who is typically the submissive partner, when they take on the role of little, what that typically means is that they are going to role play or act much more childlike and they will rely on their caregiver for more care and more guidance. So it's, it is a kind of a DSE thing, although it does not have to carry over outside of this role play. Um, you can just sort of have the um, caregiver little as a uh, kink, if you will, and not you know have a full-on DS commitment with your caregiver or your little. Um, or you can. It all it all depends. So we have all of that. And now we're going to kind of come to another little bit of a myth. Oftentimes, you see those who are littles supposedly looking for a partner who is very much older than they are, more mature, all those wonderful things that, that people stereotypically apply to a caregiver little relationship. And it's, once again, since this is all about age play, there are caregivers out there who are younger than their little, but when they role play, the younger person role plays in their role as caregiver. They are older, they are mature, they are all these wonderful things that the little is looking for. So it's a myth to think that if somebody is a little that they want a um yes may december type relationship that's that's not the case it's just the role play side of it the caregiver typically takes on the persona of somebody who is older and more mature which is pretty easy to do uh, when somebody is going back and kind of rolling back back their clock to role play um being being much younger it's also very important, and I know I said this before, that um, no matter how the little little and caregiver dynamic is, some people have it function like a 24-hour, you know, by seven days a week DS dynamic. And other people, it's just a, um, just a role play. So you have all these different ways of doing it. So it's important not to make the assumptions that if somebody's a little and somebody's their caregiver, it's a 24-7 DS dynamic. It could be, or it might not be. So uh, no matter how you kind of slice these little caregiver relationships up, um, one, of the, one of the draws for those involved is the level of love, trust, and nurturing that are often incorporated in it. Um, Another thing that uh, that is a draw for some, let's face it, some people like the edginess to it. Um, they kind of think it's hot or it's sexy to kind of get into a kink that uh, that really kind of del deliberately plays on, on taboos um, in our society on age and power dynamics. So while there's the love, the trust, and the nurturing, and all that wonderful, sweet-sounding stuff. There's also the the edgier side where they are facing and taking on society's taboos and uh, getting getting their rocks off in the process of it. And if that's the reason why, well, that's fantastic as long as it's consensual. Rock on. Um, 
oftentimes, obviously, the submissive side of the of the little caregiver relationship is is drawn to the idea of being cared for. And for the the caregiver, the dominant side, it's the ability to to want to be there for their submissive, to nurture their submissive, and in a way do so in a way that they assert dominance, but it's not not in the ways that maybe say a traditional dominant is seen as more domineering. Doesn't mean they're more dominant, it's just their their mentality may be more domineering. And then of course, um uh, Typically, a caregiver, when they're in caregiver mode, is not sadistic. Um, but it's also important to note that with everything within this world of kink, there are, are blends. You know, somebody who is a caregiver could be also in the right frame of mind or right space. You know, be a be more of the traditional dominant or maybe even be a bit of a sadist or the the little who's being cared for could have a dominant dominating domineering sadistic streak so it's 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 all in how it comes together for the the people the people involved in it uh, so you know it is important that when we think about littles this is where we think of things associated with childhood um kind of coming into the gink world you know coloring books Decorating cupcakes, cartoons. Uh, it's also important to note that caregiver little play doesn't necessarily mean it's sexual. It could be there could be a consensual sex component there, or it could be just a um, a role play where it's the dynamic doesn't have the sexual element. It's all about what what works for them. You know, where the when the little is in there. Their role play as being kind of childlike. Um, the caregiver is there to set boundaries, give them guidance, and set expectations. So it's kind of a fun kink to think about it. This is where stickers and spankings can kind of go hand in hand. Now, under the bigger mantra or the bigger umbrella of the um, the you know the age role plays that happen in DS, um, there are some subgenres there. Um, the next one we're going to get into is often all lumped together is ABDL, which stands for Adult Baby Diaper Lover. And they're always run together, though that acronym is always together, Adult Baby and Diaper Lover. Um, but the thing is, is they're really two separate things. People can enjoy being an adult baby and not be into diapers, or somebody can be into diapers and not be into being an adult baby. So it's important to understand that while the the acronym links them together, reality is completely different. And also adult babies do not necessarily regress or role play, I guess we should say, back to the state of being being a newborn. Um, Many people who do this type of thing uh, will maybe identify as a, a toddler or a two-year-old, which is kind of how bratting, you know, two-year-olds or rather three-year-olds are often a little kind of bratty. Um, but it's important to note that no matter where you, where one aligns on the, on the age role-play dynamics, that age is not set. It's not always um, 
the same age a person is going to role play or be a part of. It, it can fluctuate. I mean, somebody can be into this and be kind of the bratty schoolgirl one day, and the next day they could be decide that they want to be the, the helpless newborn. Um, and then maybe next weekend they want to be a pouty teenager. So whenever we look at this, um, and you know, it sounds crazy to think that somebody who is classified as an adult baby would be a teenager, but yeah, it, it's really one of those terms where it gets to anybody who role plays significantly younger than they are. So I guess maybe if I role played that I was a 20 year old, it would throw me into the, the adult baby category. I don't know, maybe. Um, but some of the behaviors that are commonly associated with it are um, the person role playing the the child will, you know, have the temper tantrum for bedtime. Uh, maybe they like pacifiers, playing with dolls, um, to even crawling on the floor, sometimes even becoming nonverbal and actually role playing that they are indeed a baby. Um, so you will see that oftentimes, um, and you see this often online from people who are who this appeals to, where they will um, use a childlike voice or childlike um, typed words. How they type, they try to sound as though it was um, childlike. Um, so another thing that that is surprising here, but not surprising. Um, if you think about it, somebody who is, when we think of this type of role play, we think of the, the caregiver as the dominant and the person who is engaging in the, the role play of being younger, being the submissive. But when we look at some of the things like the perhaps the tenter tantrums or being bratty, that type of thing, um, it can be a much more blurred line between dominant and submissive. If you think, for example, maybe of the toddler who tries to torment uh, their evil babysitter who's trying to put them to bed, um, and torments them to the part where, you know, the, the poor babysitter actually starts crying because it's such a overwhelming tantrum. So when you get into something like that, the, the, the line between dominant and submissive can become very, very kind of, kind of blurry. And it's just an interesting thing to keep in mind that, that as we get into the age role plays, um, the, the traditional, I guess, line in the sand between dominant and submissive can, can get all messed up. Like a big wave came and washed it over and it's all, all askew. Now, that's kind of the adult baby side of it. And while diapers definitely are not my jam, um, I have made it through life without ever changing a diaper so far. And I do kind of hope that trend continues. Um, I would like to have a surprisingly diaper-free life. But there are people who it's their jam. And they have a kink or a fetish for diapers. Or if you're listening in places where they speak the, I guess it would be now King's English because it is King Charles. Uh, I almost said Queen's English. Um, but I believe 
and I could be wrong, so if you live in the UK, correct me, but I believe they're called nappies. Um, but there are people who enjoy wearing nappies. Um, uh, oftentimes, they find the material uh, that these diapers are made from, the I guess they're soft and have a unique feeling to the skin, um, that feeling can be arousing. Um, they may also enjoy the um, the scolding that may come um, from, you know, perhaps soiling their nappy um, or having to have it changed by their caregiver. Um, maybe, maybe they enjoy both. Other people um, that I've talked to um, in person in the community, the big thing that they kept coming back to of why they enjoy this type of role play is they are completely letting go from adulthood. During this time, they don't have to, like, make a decision. They don't have to make a decision, oh, gee, you know, should I hold it or get up and, you know, to the commercial to go to the bathroom or, you know, it's just I'm wearing a diaper. I don't even have to think about it. I can just go. There's a complete for them letting loose from all the pressures of the world. And it is for them a great um, bit of mental floss. So it's kind of unique to, to think about it from that perspective. Also, it's important to note that somebody who is into diapers, um, they may not have any desire to do age play. They may not want to. Um, do any age-related role play. It might not even be their kink. It could be, but it might not be. Um, there are people who do enjoy the adult diapers for the humiliation side of it. Remember, humiliation is a kink, and it's a much bigger kink um, than you, you perhaps think it is. Um, many people enjoy being forced to wear a diaper in public by their dog. It isn't that they want to soil a diaper or have that freedom to just completely let go. It's the humiliation of it um, that is that is their jam. So while we always seem to in the world of, of BDSM link adult babies and diapers together and diaper lovers together, they are completely unrelated kinks. They can be related for some people, um, but they are really two separate separate things which people who are into, you know, regressing back in their age may not be into, or they may be. Um, or people who are into diapers may not be into um, age regression at all. So it's important important to kind of keep that, keep that in mind. Now, underneath all these little, uh, I don't know, under the bigger umbrella of age regression or adult babies or all of, however you categorize um, this this bit of of kinkiness um, there are there are a couple of you know there's the adult babies obviously who are the youngest um, when it's time to do some age role play um, but if you age up you level up out of out of role playing the adult baby um, your next you don't know, next age group that you would fall into. Um, this would be considered littles. And littles is a wide range of ages. Um, typically, it is people who, who role play from uh, kindergarten-ish uh, to preteen. 
Um, and once again, people who are littles, oftentimes, uh, their their age that they're they're at or the level that they're at uh, will fluctuate depending on life circumstances. They could, uh, you know, like I said, be a kindergartner one week, and, and you know, the next week they could be. Um, you know, getting ready for middle school and all the changes that come with that. So that's that's little, and that's the one step above the adult babies. And then if you age up out of little space, um, then you hit what is called a middle. And this is that wonderful age between, say, 12 and 17. Um, unlike the traditional little, and, and once again, this is all subjective. Everyone can be different. Um, a middle will have more awareness of the world around them, um, obviously, because they are a more mature person that is being role played. Um, they will often, and this is not always the case, but middles will typically be uh, more sexually aware, whether when they're role playing this middle space. Uh, it may or may not be a sexual thing, but the the role play itself will have um, typically have an understanding of sexuality about it because you know that age group is be starting to become and is becoming sexual aware. Um, there will be more independence for for the middle versus a little. Um, and the other fun thing middles typically do is they start to question authority. So, yeah, that can be fun for the right dominant. The right dominant can love to kind of have that be a part of their part of their role play, or the right caregiver can love to have that be a part of the role play. Others, not so much. That's why sometimes middles and some caregivers just, just don't work. And then there is a subset of middles um, that you do see um, also out there. and. If you are a fan of the police, um, I believe the song is Don't Stand So Close to Me. Uh, uh, one of the lyrics is about that, you know, like that character from that book by Nabokov. And, of course, that character is Lolita. And a Lolita is kind of the girl who is too young to have sex legally, um, but behaves in a sexually seductive way towards men who are older. So you will have people who do the age regression to middle and they want to kind of play that Lolita role to their caregiver. And once again, sometimes that can mean that that role play has a sexual component or it can just have a sexual overtone and there is actually nothing sexual that happens. So it's just, it's an interesting thing. So you will see people out there who identify as a role of Lolita. And that's what that's what they are meaning. And related to this, and not everybody who identifies as a brat is into age play, but many are. Kind of brattiness and age play will tend to go hand in hand, but they don't have to. Uh, rats are what I would call a sassy and mischievous submissive. They're not disobedient. But they love to press their dominance buttons. Um, I guess one way you could say it, somebody who is a brat, and they can be an asshole. 
a brat, regardless of your gender, brats can be assholes. Um, but that being an asshole, they're not assholes to everyone. They're just kind of an asshole to their dominant at times. You know, they are deliberately provoking their dominant. Whether it's to get their attention, whether it's to get a spanking, whether it's to do a role play, um, a brat is kind of always poking the bear, if you will. That's their jam. And there's a type of dominant out there called a brat tamer who, as you might guess, they they like having, you know, they like getting poked by their submissive. They like their submissor, submissive to be sassy and mischievous. That's what they enjoy. Um, and brat tamers really understand the importance, typically, of earning a brat's respect. And how they do that varies from one to another. Um, there are many ways that people talk about doing it, but I think it's just a matter of of um, of how it all clicks. And if you didn't hear, uh, my phone just did the uh, the robot from Lost in Space saying, "Danger, Will Robinson, danger." Um, the reason for it is I live near a Great Lake. And the wind is such today that it is screaming off of the Great Big Lake. And if you've never been to a Great Lake or been on them, they are truly like inland seas. And with the way the wind is blowing, supposedly, uh, it hasn't happened yet, but supposedly uh, it is going to go from grass being visible to winter wonderland in a matter of potentially minutes. So the phone is sending out the alarm that the snow is coming, which I hope it is. So anyways, we are back to Brat Tamers. Sorry about that interruption, but that's life, and I didn't think to silence my phone first, because maybe I'm recording this during the workday when I'm supposed to be working and didn't want to miss a call. Uh, anyway, um, Brat Tamers have the unique ability to, rem to keep their composure uh, when their brat is poking them, trying to misbehave, trying to get a reaction, trying to goad them into doing something. Um, so they really have a unique way to really stay calm uh, when their submissive being a brat is trying to get them to not be calm. And it's kind of a gigantic mental erotic tug of war that's going on between the brat and the brat tamer as both are, you know, the, the, the brats trying to provoke the reaction and the brat tamers trying to keep everything level, easy peasy, and then, of course, apply the right level of whether it's punishment or punishment um, to their brat to keep their dynamic working. So that's what being a brat is about. And it's important to note that when somebody identifies as a brat, I think I said this right early on before, sorry, my phone going. Believe me, snow is coming. Um, kind of got me a little discombobulated. But brats are not assholes to the world. Um, they just poke their dominant. Um, and it's very important because online, you sometimes you'll see people use kind of the, the brat mentality to be rude to everyone. Oh, I'm a brat. I can do that. No, no. Brats, like a dominant has to sort of earn, earn that earn their respect to enable to for the brat to want to poke at them, to want to poke the bear. So it's a um, it's an earned thing and it's also 
as odd as this might sound, uh, being a brat to a dominant is, in a way, showing that dominant respect and and honoring them by by poking at them because it's their thing, it's their jam. And if the brat didn't respect the dominant and didn't want to be with that dominant, they wouldn't they wouldn't invest in the the mental tug of war. So now that we have all that out of the way, let's let's talk about puppies, horses, kitties, and all sorts of pets because role playing as a pet is something that is growing more and more common. And if you listen to some of the, the oh, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with the the furry fascination that many of the the mega people have, that there are literally everywhere in schools now. Ah, but pet play is something that is growing in popularity. More and more people um, are enjoying the fetish of role-playing as an animal. Um, typically, they are domesticated pets like, you know, cats or dogs or or a um, show horse, that type of thing, being a puppy or a kitten, um, various things like that. Although there are people who role-play wild animals, they role-play farm animals, uh, you name it. Um, it's, it's out there under the Chandra. Um, but typically, when you see pet play, it is somebody who is taking on the role of a a domesticated animal and and I am gonna throw a horse in there because horse horsing around, if you will, is, is very popular. Um, but you'll see people who engage in pet play where they enjoy eating and drinking out of a bowl on the floor. Uh, it doesn't sound like fun to me, but it is for them and, and that is great. It's um often incorporates kind of the the dominant being the the trainer or the that parent, if you will, who is is teaching things like puppy play typically involves the dominant being the uh, the pet parent teaching the puppy how to sit or sit up or incorporate all of those types of things that we have to teach puppies um, to do. Um, and of course, since cats and dogs are different, um, kitten play typically may have more of a tactile focus, um, perhaps grooming, you know, brushing hair, that sort of thing. Um, but kitten play is typically more tactile, where puppy play is more uh, training-based. And most people who enjoy it, they report the same thing that those who do the, the adult baby report, that when they are in when they are in their mode to be a kitten, or they are role-playing, that they are um, that they're a puppy. They have a freedom. They are free mentally. They've broken free from the stresses of the day, of the week, of the year, and they can just be. It's a mental space where they can go with their trusted partner or partners and just be. It's 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 their jam, and it's how they reboot their brain, and it's fantastic for them. Um, another thing that goes along with it, just like we had with those who... Um, who enjoy wearing their nappies. I like that word, by the way, for all you people out there that are in merry old England, nappies. Um, there can be an element of humiliation for it. Um, somebody being forced um, to walk on all fours like a dog or forced to eat out of a bowl on the floor. Um, 
there's a degradation element there for those who are into it and for the, those people who it's their jam. Um, it's part of why it's, it's their jam. And I guess if you look at it from the standpoint of the finding freedom from the cares of life, if you are, in fact, role-playing, say, a puppy, um, it's what I have experience with. I, I mean, I don't mean role-playing as a puppy, but I've had puppies. Um, I've been a, you know, pet parent to dogs. And if you are a puppy, I mean, your whole world is amazement and play, and your owner is taking care of everything for you from, you know, okay, we need to get you outside to go, you know, do potty training, to coming inside, to you know, work on training for, you know, sitting up or a trick or just general behavior, or if we're not working on training, then we're, then we're playing, we're having fun. And if we're not doing that, then we're tired and we're having a nap. So there would be a sense of complete freedom if you were to role play, for example, being a puppy. I can understand how that would be. Um, and it's also important to understand that somebody who is into pet play they, once again, they can just be into it for role-playing as the pet. Um, they don't necessarily have to have a full-on DS relationship with their person who is their owner or the owners of that pet, or they can. And they could also have other aspects of DS to it. It doesn't mean that that's all they do, that's their full jam is, you know, pet, parent, and puppy. There can be a whole regular array of everything else that's under the sun. So it's it's just, it's very, very awesome that people have discovered this and it's their jam. And it's, you know, like I said, it's important to understand that if this is somebody's jam, odds are it's not the only thing that they're into. It could be, but it often isn't. They often have maybe outside of, outside of pet playtime, they have a traditional, what we would call a traditional DS relationship. Um, or, you know, they incorporate other kinks and other fetishes, um, or perhaps they're both switches. And when it's um, pet playtime, uh, the person who's normally submissive is the, the pet parent. It's it's can be any sort of unique things. Um, for example, in my community, uh, one of my local community leaders, um, they've been in a long-term relationship primary for, I don't know, probably 20, 25 years. Um, as long as I've known them, uh, they've been together. And it's very unique. Um, the dominant has always been the dominant. And the submissive learned about, explored, and identified as a little. It just clicked with them. So then they became, you know, DS. And, and also the whole little side came to be a part of what makes them click. But at the same time, the submissive with this little side also while submissive to their their primary partner, they have uh, a unique twist. Um, they are switched, so they have a dominant and a sadist in them too. So when it's playtime, you have this person who could be parading around two minutes before, showing you this lovely picture that they drew for you, and then you see them at their that they're at an event, and they are you know painting somebody's behind. And it was like, wait, two minutes ago, you were like this little kid showing me this picture. And now you have a cane in your hand and you are enjoying um, caning somebody. So it's very unique how people can be a variety of all of these things. So it's very important to know that, you know, just because you're a little doesn't mean you can also be 
you know, a switch and be dominant or, you know, any of that sort of stuff. And it's also important to understand that please throw out all the misconceptions that are out there about this, that, um, that, you know, these people who are engaged in these types of, these types of role plays are sick or they're, you know, they're into kids in real life. And no, it's not. It's just those misconceptions are ick and I think do more, do more harm than good for the lifestyle. So it's very important that even if these activities are not your jam, they're not your yum, let's not yuck on them because they are yums for so many people. And let's be educated about them so that when we are faced with somebody who is yucking on this yum with misconceptions, we can respond from an educated place and explain how this isn't the case and how this is done, you know, lovingly, consensually. And there's actually been, you know, research that proves that this isn't the case and this is all a misconception. So it's just, it's important to have that out there. So I want to thank everybody for listening. And once again, I hope you have a very Merry Christmas and that your holiday season is going absolutely amazing. And I look forward to talking with you again next week, which will be our last episode for the year. It's kind of amazing. It doesn't feel like the year should be wrapping up this early. Uh, It feels like it maybe should be about September, you know, but it isn't. So we will have our year-end podcast next week, and I look forward to chatting with you then.